Would you go with me to John chapter 11? John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11, as we continue to move through our study in John's gospel, I want to read, as you follow along in your copy of God's Word, I want to read the first six verses of John 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now as we enter chapter 11 this morning of John's Gospel, we come to what is the last of Jesus' miraculous signs that John records for us. John's Gospel, if you remember, we've noted this before, but John's Gospel is all about showing us just who Jesus is and recognizing Jesus Christ as God in human flesh. Now, this miracle, while it isn't the last of Jesus' miracles, we think that it is probably one of the most significant miracles, one of the greatest miracles. This isn't his last miracle before the cross, but it's the last one that John shows us, and probably the greatest miracle of Jesus, the miracle, think of this, of raising Lazarus from the dead after having been in the grave for four days. That is miraculous. <laughs> Amen? Amen. And that is the power of God at work in Jesus Christ. It's the power of God over death. And we see that clearly. That's one of the the big pictures we're going to see in chapter 11 as we continue to study along through these verses. It's the power of God over death. And that we rejoice in as followers of Christ. It gives us hope. This is likely one of the most important miracles for for us Uh, I think, as Warren Wiersbe notes when he says, if Jesus Christ can do nothing about death, then whatever else he can do amounts to nothing. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable, as he quotes 1 Corinthians 15, 19. He goes on to say, death is man's last enemy. But Jesus Christ has defeated this horrible enemy totally and permanently. Praise God, right? You see, that we were going to see, we're going to see this clearly as we study through these verses here and we look at more of chapter 11, Lord willing, in the coming days. But before we get to that that powerful truth, I just kind of gave you a taste of what we're going to see here. Before we get there, before we get to that passage about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, I want to spend some time giving our attention to these first six verses this morning. 
Because I think there's something very important for us here. Because what I hear in these first six verses, and what I want to give our attention to today, is such an important truth. And I think you're going to understand and grasp why this is so important for all of us when you hear this, because this is something we all need to grasp and fully understand. If we're to live in such a way that, that our lives live for Christ, speak for Christ, and point people to Christ, and in our lips witness the truth of Christ, and people can see the truth lived out in us, if we're fully going to grasp this, this is such an important truth, such an important truth we need to see, we need to savor this truth, we need to think on this truth and be encouraged by this truth so that we might faithfully declare God's word with our lives, with our conduct, with our speech as we witness for Christ to the lost who need to be saved, who need to trust in Christ. Here's the fundamental truth that I see in these first six verses and why I'm going to stop right here today with these first six verses before we go any further. This is why I think this is so important. Here's the truth, and you may not want to hear this this morning, but I think we need to hear this. God does not spare his children from hardship and suffering. You hear me? You you understand, you know this, right? God does not spare his children from hardship and suffering. We live in a world that's very clearly affected by sickness, by disease, by death. It's always amazing to us as we, you know, it seems like weekly we hear of some new study, some new research, some new breakthrough to help Long, you know, lengthen our lives, make our lives longer, make us live longer, help us, help us get through our latest ailments, right? It's always incredible as we see all the, all the research and things that go into helping us live longer and be healthier. Why? Because sickness is such a problem for us, right? We're all, if we're not sick now, we're going to be sick sometime, right? We're all kind of falling apart, right? And these, these tents that God gave us don't last forever, and He didn't intend for them to last forever. We live in a world that's clearly affected by sickness. It's clearly affected by disease and death. It's something certainly none of us escapes. We also, we also face hardship. We also face suffering because of sin, right? Really at the root of it all, it's sin. But we also face sin that, that makes our relationships with people difficult, right? And we struggle and we have personal conflict and we have heartache. But you need to hear this and hear it clearly. God does not spare His children from hardship and suffering. And we can see it here clearly in the passage before us. Jesus could have easily prevented the death, the, even the illness of Lazarus, right? He, he, he could have looked in, ahead and said, you know, Lazarus is going to get sick. I, I, I'm not going to let that happen. He could have looked ahead and said, the sickness that Lazarus has is going to lead to death. I'm not going to let that happen. But he didn't. He chose not to. Because God does not spare his children from hardship and suffering. And that's a good thing. No amens? I understand. Right? It's a good, trust me. We're going to see here. I think this is important that we grasp this truth. God does not spare his children from hardship and suffering. And that's a good thing. He doesn't spare his children even from physical death. And I can say this is all good because of what we see here. 
Here's what I see in these first six verses. Here's what I want you to see this morning. If you're God's child, you are not spared from hardship and suffering. But, but, God loves His children deeply. Cling to that truth as you realize the former truth, right? He does not spare you hardship and suffering, but He loves His children deeply. Secondly, God's timing is always perfect. No amens on that one either, right? We struggle with that one. We're going to get there. Thirdly, God's provision is always complete. That's where we're going. You've got the road map. Let's, let's go look at the landscape. First, note that God loves His children deeply. God loves His children deeply. God does not spare His children from hardship and suffering, but this is very clear, and this hope is yours if you have placed your faith in Christ God loves you deeply. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. It says here, A certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he he whom you love is ill. You hear that? He whom you love is ill. And verse 5 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's clear here, I think, that Jesus dearly loves these people. He, he dearly loves these three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were, they were followers of Jesus. So they were supporters of His ministry. That's, that's true. But, but most important was the fact that He loved them dearly and deeply. So so hear this clearly today, will you? Hear this. Though God does not always liberate you from all of your earthly troubles, Jesus loves you deeply. Jesus loves me. This I know, right? We sang it when we were kids. Let that truth encourage you. For the Bible tells me so, right? You are facing hardship and trouble. Don't forget, Jesus loves you deeply. God loves His children dearly. When we forget, when we forget, we become miserable. Don't we? Because we think, God doesn't love me. He doesn't care what's going on. Look at the example here. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We're not going to see it yet. Later on, we're going to see it later. When Jesus arrives after Lazarus' death, what does He do? You know you know the story, right? He weeps. Jesus weeps. His love for these three, those who were standing nearby at that time, Looked and said, "Look how, look how he loves them." It was obvious. Look how he loves them. But what's also clear in our passage is that Jesus loves those who are His too much to spare them trials. You understand that? He loves us too much to spare them, to take us, to to swoop down and snatch us out of every trial. I think He does. I think God spares us of so many trials we're so clueless about. 
We don't even thank God for that. But there are some things, he says, I will not spare my children this tribulation. I will not spare them this trial. Because he loves us too much to go easy on us. He knows we need the trial. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What kind of love is that? I just, I just had a message sent that we're not doing well here and we could use all hands on deck, please. And Jesus says, oh, Lazarus is ill? Okay, okay. Just let me hang out here for a couple more days. Read verse 6 all by itself, and you might wonder, <laughs> right? That, that sure seems like a funny way to show your love for somebody who's dying. But Jesus obviously loved these three deeply, so much so that he did not spare Lazarus' physical pain. He did not spare him even death. Jesus also did not spare Mary and Martha the grief and the anguish of, at the suffering and the death of their brother Lazarus. No, Jesus did not spare them this trial, and he does not always spare us, but there is no friend more dear than Jesus Christ. There is no friend more dear than Jesus when you are in the midst of trials and suffering. And let me add this thought here. We can see here how Jesus loves deeply those who have faith in him, right? He loves them deeply. He loves them dearly. And, and can we get this lesson from this? Can we be challenged by this? That we too, we too ought to love those whom Jesus loves dearly. We ought to love our brothers and sisters in Christ deeply. That's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> That's a whole nother message. But just to hear me on that, because I think this is so important for us that we say, oh yeah, Jesus loves me. And that is incredible. And we ought to take that home with us today. But don't ever forget that we are to love those whom he loves. So do you hear me on that? Let your speech, let your speech to and about your, your, your brother and sister in Christ, let your conduct toward your brother and sister in Christ be seasoned with much wisdom, the wisdom of God's word. Let it be seasoned with much grace. Let it be seasoned with Liberally, with patience, because God is patient with you and me, right? And let's be reasonable with one another. And I, and I mean those in this fellowship of believers, but not just us. Because there are believers in this community all around us whom we need to show the love that Jesus shows them. Let's love one another. Let's love one another deeply. Those whom Jesus loves, we're to love deeply. I think we're going to hear this when we get to chapter 13. Just kind of skip ahead a little bit. When we get to chapter 13, in verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I think it's clear there, and I think we're reminded here, 
that one of the chief ways we witness the love of Christ to the world, one of the chief ways we evangelize the lost is to show them how deeply believers love and care and get along with one another. When we see how deeply Jesus loves his own, and we hear Jesus say a new commandment, not a suggestion, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, it's for our own good. And it's for, ultimately, it's for his glory spread abroad as we take steps of obedience to love one another as he loves us. As we follow his example and as we obey his command, because if we don't do this, we miss prime opportunities to be a witness to unbelievers in this world when they look at our lives and see we we can't love one another. Why would they want what we have? It's clear here, isn't it? This is so important that Jesus loves his own deeply. So we can see it, that though God does not spare his children from hardship and suffering, he does love them deeply. Take it to the bank. (laughs) Secondly, Jesus' timing, God's timing is always perfect. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Verses 3 and 4, so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that he whom you love is ill. They didn't even have to tell him his name. He knew who they'd be speaking of. They, they knew Jesus loved them and, and that he loved Lazarus. And, and note that they don't send a request. Did you, did you happen to notice that? There's no request here. It's just information. There's no request. There's no demand. I think that's a good reminder for us as we petition God in prayer for help, right? <clears throat> there is no time for making demands of God. No time for making demands of God when we appeal to him for help, and and we often need his help. But how easy it is for us to make suggestions. God, might I suggest this? Here's what I'm thinking. Right? Be careful. Be careful about making suggestions. Be careful about making cloaked demands. Be, t- be careful about giving God a time frame along with your request. Be careful about laying out before God a framework for resolving your problems. I can build frameworks for solving my problems pretty, pretty handily. I've got it all mapped out in my mind, and I can dwell on it and go, okay, God, this is how it's supposed to work. So help me, Lord, just like I got it mapped out. That may, may not be how God chooses to do it. But this we, we, we know. The way God chooses to do it is completely sufficient. The way God chooses to answer our prayers is just what we need. Be careful about 
making suggestions to God. Why? Why be careful about this? Because we, we often have it all figured out. And we just say, okay, God, now just do it. That's not how He works, is it? Verse 4 makes it very clear, doesn't it, that, that this illness of Lazarus is not at the wrong time. This is not at the wrong time. No, it's, it's at the right time. Why? To bring God glory. To bring glory to the Son of God. Jesus says this is an illness that doesn't lead to death. He's not suggesting, of course, that, that Lazarus wouldn't die, but what he is suggesting is that God's purpose wasn't to end his life. You know, God wasn't out to get Lazarus. His purpose wasn't to take his life. No, this affliction was meant for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So how would Jesus, the Son of God, be glorified through the illness and eventually the death of Lazarus? I think several ways, too, I think, are really important. I want to point to, ultimately, of course, the power of God in Christ. The power of God in Christ was going to be revealed when after four days, Jesus would show up on the scene and bring Lazarus to life, Right? And that is an incredible witness, an incredible illustration. This is, this is glorifying to God and glorifying to the Son of God when the Son of God speaks and brings to life the one who's been in the grave for four days. Later we're going to see that many would believe in Christ after this. That's one way the Son of God is glorified in the affliction and even the death of Lazarus. But another way, and an important way for us to grasp, I think, is this. The Son of God is glorified most when those who profess faith in Him live by faith. The Son of God is glorified most when those who claim to believe in Him prove they believe in Him by their faith. And they live by faith. The affliction and death and then the raising of Lazarus from the dead is also meant to teach Jesus' disciples. And we're going to see this here as we progress through this chapter. It's meant to teach his disciples and followers to believe in and have confidence and faith in him. To trust him that he knows best. They will be taught by this to believe in Jesus, to trust in Him, to have faith in His wisdom in all circumstances, and to have confidence in His care for them in all things, even suffering, even, yes, death. The Son of God is glorified when we live by faith. So, we can see clearly, I think, though God does not spare His children from hardship and suffering, Jesus' timing, God's timing, is always perfect. Thirdly note, and I think I alluded to it earlier, thirdly note this, that God's provision is always complete. His timing is perfect. His provision is always complete. Jesus did not give them what they may have been hoping for though they did not make any suggestions or demands or requests. They simply said, He whom you love is dead, is, is, is ill, is dying. But Jesus did not give them probably what they were, it was, it was probably what they were hoping for. 
they were hoping possibly that he would simply heal Lazarus from where he was, even at a distance. They knew that the Jewish leaders in Judea were, were seeking to have Jesus killed, so they didn't want to make demands on him. But that may be what they were hoping, that Jesus would say the word, just say the word, Jesus, and, and Lazarus will be okay. They didn't say it, but I'm, it's possible, right? And we probably would have been there thinking that, you know, you, you can just do this, hint, hint. The one you love is ill. No, Jesus didn't do that either. But you know what he did give them? He gave them what they needed. He gave them what they needed. And we'll see it as we move further into this chapter. They needed to learn that in all things, God should get the glory. And you and I need to get that. What we need to see is that in all things, God should be glorified. In affliction and even in death, they also needed to learn that God's timing is perfect and His provision is complete. They were growing in their faith, in their walk with Christ, and He knew what they needed most. And as He knew what they needed most, He knows what we need most. That's why we must learn to pray with the attitude of Christ when on the Mount of Olives, remember, on the night before his crucifixion, he prayed what? Not my will, but thine be done. Right? To the Father. God's will is what we need. Not my will, but thine be done. God's will is what we need. That his will be done brings great glory to God and brings the Father's complete provision to us, by the way. You see, that God be glorified brings great glory and honor to the Son, but also brings just what we need when God is glorified. And I want you to note, too, that an illustration of God's power to provide completely is seen in the fact that death is not the ultimate end, is it? For those who are Christ's, death is not the ultimate end of it all. God has control over that, too. Note that Jesus didn't say Lazarus wouldn't die, just that the ultimate outcome would be for God's glory. And though God does not spare his children from hardship and suffering, his provision for his children is always right on time and perfectly complete. Because it's in Christ, and in Christ alone, we have this example, this bold illustration It's in Christ and Christ alone we find complete forgiveness for all of our sins and eternal life. And though we too, like Lazarus, we we will likely face physical death unless the Lord raptures us home. For those who place their faith in Christ, there's forgiveness of sins and there's eternal life. God's provision can't be any more complete than that. You realize that? God's provision can't be any more complete than that. And if he provides those complete provisions, how much more will he provide the things that are lesser than that? So if you're God's child, your aim in life, too, ought to be that in all things, God is glorified. Even in my affliction, even in my suffering, even in in being mistreated, even in being misunderstood, even in, dare we say, even in death. 
you're God's child, your aim ought to be that in all things God is glorified, just as we hear in 1 Corinthians 10.31, which we know so well when it instructs us, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, including sickness and death, my translation, do all to the glory of God. So how should you respond to suffering? How should you respond to pain and grief and loss in your life for God's glory? How can you do it? I don't think this is a complete list, but here's three three steps, I think. And I want to attach them to prayer, because what happens when we face trials? We go, God, help. Please, Lord, help me. And that's a good thing. We're going to talk about that tonight. That's a really good thing. That's one thing that we can be thankful for. We can be thankful that God does not snatch us from suffering and trials because one thing it does is it drives us to him in prayer where we must be. So when you call, number one, when you call on God for help, don't presume to know best. And that's hard because our minds are constantly turning, right? Don't presume to know best when you call on God for help. Plead for his help, yes, but do so with humility. Note that Mary and Martha weren't telling Jesus what to do. I think they were very humble in their request. Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. He's ill. We thought you'd want to know. Note that Mary and Martha weren't telling Jesus what to do. They merely told him that the one he loved was ill. They weren't presuming to know best. Don't presume to know best when you call on God for help. Secondly, and that'll, that'll be for God's glory. Secondly, when you call on God for help, don't make your own comfort your aim. And that's hard also. Don't make your own comfort your aim. Make God's glory your aim. God is always about glorifying himself as sufficient for all, all and every one of our needs, even in our suffering. Remember verse 4, and make God's glory your aim always. But when, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, but what? It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Make God's glory your aim always when you call on God for help. Don't make your aim your, your, your own comfort. Thirdly, when you call on God for help, and this might be the most difficult, thank Him for the pain. When you call on God for help, say, God, thank you for this, because I am confident that you're going to give me just what I need, just when I need it, because you love me deeply. And so when you call on God for help, thank him for the pain. And that is exceedingly hard, isn't it? But he wants us to walk by faith and not by sight, Right? And so we can, when we walk by faith, we can say, God, thank you for the pain. Thank you for the hardship. Be it the pain of opposition. Be it the pain of ridicule. The pain of suffering. The pain of loss. The pain of a broken heart. pain of illness, 
even the pain of death. Thank God for the pain. And we can thank God for the pain because pain has a refining effect. You realize that? When pain when pain comes into our lives, it draws us closer to God in prayer, doesn't it? It draws us deeper into His into His Word, His life giving hope fulfilling word. Pain causes us to give proper attention to our life live for Christ, our spiritual life. Have you noticed that? When you face hardship, it makes you stop and say, wait a minute, those things aren't important, but living for Christ is what's important. As God's child, pain helps us give proper attention to our life in Christ, our spiritual life. Pain also brings clarity to our priorities, doesn't it? Pain helps you understand what is the most important thing. And our priorities, let's remember this. And from this passage, it's very clear. Our our priorities should be God-centered instead of self-centered. God will meet our needs. We can be confident of that because he loves us deeply, but our priorities must be God-centered and God-glorifying-centered. And when we believe in Jesus, that is, when we grow in our faith in Christ, and Jesus points to this as one of the reasons for his delay, we're going to see it when we get to verse 15 when he says, And for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So this is one of the purposes that God does not always answer and swoop in and snatch us out of our problems, right? So that we may believe. And when we believe and when we respond in faith to even the pain that by God's, think about this, that by God's providential hand of wisdom he brings into our lives, when we respond in faith, even our pain brings God great glory. And let's remember and give thanks to God that it was the suffering of God's Son, Jesus Christ. It was the pain and suffering of of the Son of God that brought God glory in that it magnifies the depths of His love for you and me. So as the chorus we sing on occasion says, Have faith in God. He's on His throne Have faith in God. He watches or his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Father in heaven, we come before you again this morning and we pray. God, help us. We're so weak and feeble at times. Help us to have faith in you. Help us to be strengthened by your truths. Even these truths we see this morning, God, I pray, make them, make them real to us. Help, them, help, help us to see them clearly and to see how they apply to our lives today. And help us to live by faith and not by sight, of course, trusting in you, trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ, knowing that ultimately we have the most important and complete of all provisions for our lives 
forgiveness of sin and eternal life. God, I pray, encourage us, enrich and deepen and strengthen our faith as we all face life and often face trouble. Help us to give you the glory in all things. Help us to thank you for the pain and help us to trust you knowing that you love us deeply, knowing that your timing is so perfect, and knowing that your provision is always complete. It's just what we need. Help us to rest in you and trust in you and honor you and glorify you with our lives so that others might see Christ clearly so that they might hear of him clearly from our lips as we testify of Christ and tell them of our Savior, that they might trust in him and be saved. Oh God, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.